Hi, I'm Tony Hines, and you're listening to the Chain Reaction News Roundup. All things impacting global supply chains this week. Glad you could join us. Well, all things happening this week in the news. Strikes, strikes, strikes. Three strikes and you're out. Well, there's more than three strikes. There's many strikes. And the government seems unable to resolve any of them. The only answer appears to be legislation. And that's because they're not talking to anybody properly. They need to speak to people and resolve the issues, not threaten people with legal action. It's not the way to go. Of course, it's not just strikes we have. We have disruptions due to the war in Ukraine and the fuel situation is not getting any better with regard to oil and gas. The price of gas on the spot market is likely to fall according to various estimates now being touted. And oil, in fact, on the future market has fallen. And the pressure on Russia and their oil to fix the price below 60 US dollars a barrel will certainly have some impact. The news from Istanbul says that Turkey is a stumbling block to the plan to deprive Russia of wartime oil revenue because the number of tankers waiting to exit the Black Sea through Turkish straits has continued to rise on Friday. Ankara has declined to scrap a new insurance inspection rule which was implemented at the beginning of the month despite days of pressure from Western Officials, 28 oil tankers are queuing, waiting to leave the Bosporus and the Dardanelles Straits. The European Union and Australia agreed to bar providers of shipping services along with the G7 countries. This includes insurance and this would deprive Moscow of much needed revenue. Western insurers have said they can't provide the documents required by Turkey as it may expose them to sanctions if it emerged that oil cargoes they cover were sold at prices that exceed the cap. If you remember, the price is capped at $60 per barrel. Most of the tankers waiting in the Bosphorus are carrying Kazakh oil, according to the US Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. And she said that these should not be subjected to Turkey's new procedures. So I think this is a bit of a legal wrangle which will carry on and continue until something is resolved. News out of Moscow is that Russia, the world's biggest exporter of energy, is likely to cut oil production and will refuse to sell oil to any country that imposes the West's price cap on Russian oil. That's according to President Vladimir Putin. The price is capped at $60 per barrel. Well, it may not affect many of the countries in any case because... uh, Much of the oil from the EU has been cut off by Russia, so I don't think this is going to work as a threat. Russia is the world's second largest oil exporter after Saudi Arabia, and it's the largest gas exporter. Much of the foreign currency earned by Moscow has come from the sale of European oil and gas. But if that dries up, of course, well, what happens next? The price for Ural's blend crude on Friday was about $53 a barrel, according to Reuters. Brent crude closed the week at $75 per barrel. News from Geneva on Friday is that the World Trade Organization has ruled that the US tariffs imposed 
on steel and aluminium imports by President Donald Trump contravened global trading rules. The judgment has been immediately criticised by Washington. This is one of the most high-profile and potentially explosive cases to come from the WTO. The three-person adjudicating panel said the US measures were inconsistent with WTO rules and recommended that the United States brings them into line. The US has rejected the flawed interpretation of the conclusions of the panel and it might appeal against the ruling. Trump imposed 25% tariffs on steel and 10% on aluminium in 2018 using Section 232 of a 1962 Act that allows the President to restrict imports if they're threatening national security. Free trade partners Canada and Mexico were later exempted. The tariffs prompted several WTO members, including China, to challenge the measure on Friday. The case was brought by China, Norway, Switzerland and Turkey. And there are cases by India and Russia which are still pending. Last year, Washington agreed to remove the tariffs on the EU import, which prompted Brussels to suspend the EU case. So this is one of those tit-for-tat spats that break out from time to time with the WTO. News from Washington. The producer price index increased by 0.3% in November. The PPI rises 7.4% year-on-year. That's a smallest gain since May 2021. And excluding food, energy, trade, services, PPI climbs 0.3%. So the core PPI is around 4.9%, which is the smallest rise since April 2021. With producer prices rising slightly more than expected in November and a jump in the cost of services, annual inflation at the factory gate has its smallest increase in one and a half years. This report from the Labour Department on Friday also showed underlying producer prices increasing at the slowest pace since April 2021, year-on-year basis. Consumer one-year inflation rates fell to a 15-month low in December, according to other data. The Federal Reserve published these statements and there's a two-day policy meeting next week at which the central bank is expected to start dialing back the size of its interest rate increases. So this is good news for consumers, I think. There's an expectation that the core goods price in the Consumer Price Index will decline in November. In the 12 months through to November, the PPI increased by 7.4%, the smallest gain since May 2021. It was 8.1% in October. So perhaps this is the start of a gradual slowing down of inflation. News from Beijing is that China's factory gate prices have also fallen to a 17-month low. So inflation is easing in China too, which is defying global cost pressures. Slower domestic construction has heavily weighed on material demand and consumer price increases have hit a two-year high as pork supplies tightened. But the PPI rose 4.2% year-on-year, said the National Bureau of Statistics on Wednesday. And that's good news because back in June it was 6.1% year-on-year and it was expected to be around 5% at this time. But that's no longer the case. China's producer price growth has slowed from a 26-year high in October last year, which gives policymakers some headroom to make some 
progress. The CPI increased 2.7% from a year earlier, and that's the fastest pace since July 2020. But it's below forecast. That's the important point, which said it would likely be 2.9%. In London, nurses, teachers, university lecturers, fire service, ambulance drivers, border force, many civil service departments, all going on strike. Railways on strike, transport strikes, all over the place. So, come to the UK if you can. You won't get anywhere, but you can still come. You may not even get here, if Border Force don't let you in. Germany is quietly positioning itself to be Europe's semiconductor centre of manufacturing. And much investment has been put into that sector by the German Chancellor. The United States is trying to rebuild infrastructure in the automobile industry. And this is with reference to the development of electric vehicles. They've attempted to promote more electric vehicles to meet climate change targets. And they've passed legislation that they hope will increase the chances of success. General Motors Chief Executive Mary Barra, United Auto Workers President Ray Curry, and U.S. Secretary of Labor Marty Walsh watched U.S. President Joe Biden deliver remarks after touring the General Motors factory Zero Electric Vehicles Assembly Plant in Detroit, Michigan. That was on November the 17th. And since then, of course, workers at General Motors, LG Energy Battery Cell Factory in Northeast Ohio, overwhelmingly voted to join the United Auto Workers, a big win for the union seeking to organise the growing electric vehicle supply chain sector. The National Labor Relations Board said hourly employees at the Ultium Cells LLC plant near Cleveland voted 710 to 16 in favour of joining the union. So unionisation of the electric vehicle auto sector is happening. It's a difficult transition to electric vehicles and new workers entering the auto sector at plants like Ultium are thinking about their value and worth, according to UAW President Ray Curry. President Joe Biden, on a trip to South Korea earlier in the year, expressed support for US workers seeking to unionise JV battery plants. Biden said by rebuilding our infrastructure and our manufacturing of electric vehicle batteries and semiconductors, These jobs will bring our supply chains back home. So this is an intention to reshore. Samsung is making further investment in Vietnam to produce phones. It cut back earlier in the year. Samsung is putting a further $2 billion into its investment in Vietnam. So it's gone from $18 billion to $20 billion of investment. LG is also making further investments in Vietnam about $4 billion. Vietnam has accounted for about 50% of Samsung phone production, so that looks likely to continue with this announcement. Now, we've had a number of new episodes in the past few weeks, which you may not have caught up with yet, and I'd suggest you get to the Chain Reaction download site, wherever that is on your platform, wherever you get your podcasts from, and make sure you catch up. News rounds every Saturday, of course, all things happening in global supply chains that week. But there have been episodes on uh, Black Friday and the episode with Mario Paganini about peak season demand. 
and we've had learning and change, which is coming up, I think, and uh, leading the team. If you want to be a supply chain leader, that's one to go and listen to, or if you want to find out more about what being a leader means in the current time, then you might want to go and listen to that one. And there's a couple of really good episodes coming up in the next couple of weeks, one on supply chain systems thinking and how that impacts how you think about supply chains and how you organize what you do in supply chains and how supply chains improve cash flows. There's an episode on that and that will be interesting because there's been a lot of firms that have been going out of business because they really just haven't managed the cash flow situation and a lot of that's down to what happens in supply chains. So drop by and listen to that. Well, that's it for this week. Lots of big economic news coming out this time of the year. And, of course, lots of corporations try to bury the bad news at this time of the year, hoping it gets lost in the Christmas rush. But if you keep listening here, you might find we happen to catch one or two of those stories and we'll relay those to you so that you can have that news and keep abreast with what's going on in the supply chain. So, I'm Tony Hines. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. I'm signing off, and I'll see you next time. From me, bye for now. The Chain Reaction Podcast was written, presented, and produced by Tony Hines. Hi, I'm Tony Hines. I'm here to tell you about the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. I've been researching and writing about supply chains for over 25 years. I wrote my first book on supply chain strategies in the early 2000s. Each week we have special episodes on particular topics relating to supply chains. Now we have a weekly news roundup every Saturday at 12 noon. All things impacting global supply chains in that week. So come and join us on the Chain Reaction Podcast. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now.